Luke chapter 22, and uh, reading verses 19 to 20, 19 and 20. And uh, you're all familiar with these verses, I'm sure, but this is Christ, and he's with his disciples. He's just hours away from, from uh, being turned over to be tried and, and uh, falsely accused, falsely uh, convicted, and then crucified. And, and this is what he has to say as he's with his disciples. It says, And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And what he's saying here to them is that his body was going to be broken. Uh, He was going to suffer physically. That his blood was going to be poured out. It was going to be given up for them for the forgiveness of their sins. And when we come to the communion table, we're remembering these verses. We're remembering what he was teaching there. Uh, And he did this willingly. Well, one of the things that as I uh, read that, one of the things that I come across, I shared in the first service, I think is, uh, as a police officer, you know, you kind of read, what does all of this mean? What is, what's the context here? What, what's he getting at? And, and I was really doing that, and as I read the new covenant, it really just really struck me, the new covenant in my blood. Like, what is Jesus talking about? And how do we get a handle on what he is referring to when he refers to the new covenant? And so in order for us to be able to understand the new covenant, it helps us to have a little bit of a grasp, uh, a little bit of the old covenant. The Old Testament, God made several covenants. Uh, I'm not going to have the time this morning to go into each of those covenants, but one was, if you remember, after the flood and Noah uh, had landed and God meets with Noah and he said he would never destroy uh, the land and the people uh, and the animals again by a flood. And he gave the uh, sign, which was what? The rainbow. And uh, he gave that as a sign to them of something that he would never do. And it was, a, it was a, a sign of a covenant that he was making with them. With Abraham, he made a covenant. Uh, the covenant with Abraham was that he would make him who had no children into a great nation. He would give him many children. And I, I, I'm, I'm boiling down, by the way, a whole bunch of information about these covenants into real brief statements. So it's not all that's there, but, but that's generally it. And then uh, the Davidic code, which, or, or uh, covenant, uh, which was that uh, he was making a promise that he would always have somebody sitting in the, on the throne. And uh, ultimately he is referring to Christ, who was a descendant of David, who would come and sit on his throne forever and ever. And so those, that's another covenant that came true. Well, the other one is the uh, Mosaic, or the, the covenant of, uh, with Moses. And uh, uh, that is a covenant that he made with Moses, but in reality he's making with that with all of the nation of Israel. He's making a covenant or an agreement that uh, he would have this relationship. And we're going to go into some detail of that and today we're going to con- contrast or compare that with the, the covenant of, of Moses along with the covenant of Jesus and how, uh, where there's uh, overlap and where there's uh, connection. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to look at uh, five areas, and that's the parties of the covenant, who's involved with this covenant, 
Who is the agreement with? And a covenant is an agreement. It, it, it would be like a contract, except it's not a, a, a written, uh, out, uh, signed document, but it's an agreement between uh, two parties. So who are the parties in this covenant? The second is, what are the terms of the covenant? Uh, what's involved here with this, uh, with this agreement? The sign of the covenant. Each of these covenants had a sign. We, we referred to the rainbow as the, the sign of the covenant uh, that he had uh, with Noah. And then the ratification of the covenant. We're going to talk about that. And then lastly, the conditions of the covenant. And so, as we look at these two covenants, the one with Moses, which we call the Mosaic Covenant, and the one with Christ, which I call the Christian Covenant, we're just going to look at uh, a comparison. And what I hope that you will be able to see as we do this today is how much of an impact the Christian covenant has on us today. And the difference it makes for us that Christ has brought this new covenant to us. And so when we read in the verse uh, there in, in uh, chapter 22 of Luke that this is a new covenant in, our blo- in my blood, it's a significant covenant. It's a significant change uh, between God and uh, people that's important for us to try to get a handle on, to try to uh, at least begin to understand. And as I shared uh, in the first service this morning, frankly, folks, when, I, when it comes to this, uh, I had just document after document that I looked at in, in this area, and I'm just barely scratching. In fact, I'm not even sure it's a scratch. It might be more of a little rub uh, over this area. But it's really a, a fascinating study. Uh, if, you, if you ever have an opportunity, just go in and start to dig into to the covenants uh, of the uh, Old Testament and compare those with, with the uh, biblical covenant that, that Christ made for us when he said, this is a new covenant in my blood. So the first covenant uh, is the parties who are involved. This is a covenant between God and the children of Israel. It's the, is, the uh, nation of Israel and God have this covenant. And it's a covenant of, uh, that, that was brought about when, when Moses led, uh, and actually God led, but used Moses to lead the people out of Egypt and they cross uh, the Jordan and um, they, they're, they're moving forward. And God uh, made a covenant with them. But he also, uh, Moses reaffirms this with the people who will eventually, those who are right on the precipice of entering into the promised land. Because you remember, because of disobedience, uh, there had been a period of 40 years that that the uh, Israelites had to wander in the desert and didn't get to go in to the uh, promised land. And so in in, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, Moses uh, is speaking and he says, The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. It's, a, it's a us, it's the current people who are about to enter in. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive to this day. And the idea there being that sometimes, you know, you read something like this and they might look at this and say, well, that was a covenant with them. That was an agreement with them, but it doesn't apply to me. And so Moses is making it very clear to them. This covenant, what we are doing here today, is something that we agreed to when we spoke with God uh, and I was your representative as we uh, communicated with him. Well, what are the terms uh, of the uh, covenant? They're commandments that are to be observed, to be obeyed. If we observe a commandment, if we follow a commandment, we ob- we obey it. 
Now here's one of the things with obeying a commandment or obeying a law. You have to obey every single bit of it. There is no diverting off of it. When I think of this, I think of my own life and I think, man, (laughs) there's no way. There's no way if I was under that, that I could fulfill it. There's no way that I could remain faithful. Because I look at my own life and I look how many times I mess up on a daily basis with a thought or a deed or a lack of a deed. And I, you know, there, there are just things in your life where you look at them and you say, I'm glad that I'm not under that covenant because I would fail. I would fail miserably as the Israelites did. Uh, and we're going to talk about that as we go a little bit forward here. Um, well, the sign of the covenant. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the, let me back up just a hair here. Uh, the, the covenant, the uh, terms of the covenant, it was conditional. Okay? It was conditional on obedience. So God promised them if they would obey, he would bless them. But if they didn't obey, that he would withdraw the blessing. Okay? So if, if they wanted to be blessed, if they wanted to have the blessings of God poured out on them, as, as they had in many ways. You know, he fed them, he took care of them, even as they're in the desert, they're walking around, uh, being disobedient to them. If they would be obedient, God just said, I'm going to pour out my blessings on you. But there's a reverse of that, and that's that if you disobey, I have to withdraw my blessing from you. I have to pull it back. And then there's a consequence of that. And so uh, it's important for us to understand that there is uh, there are some... Uh, things there that they had to uh, follow. So, uh, it, the sign. The next thing is the whoops. The next thing is the sign of the covenant, and the sign of the covenant covenant was the Sabbath. And you know, the Sabbath became very, very important to them. What was the what was the sign? The sign was that are you doing anything on the Sabbath that you shouldn't be doing? Okay. In other words, uh, if the, the, the Sabbath is the day that we all recognize that you are to behave in a certain way. You're not to do any work. You're not to do this. You're not to do that. And so the, uh, the Israelites took this and they, they decided, well, we're going to, and God did some of it, but, but uh, they took it and they said, well, we're going to explain what this means. And so they added law upon law upon law about what this all means to the point where if you remember when Jesus came along. What was the, what was the thing that the, the leaders confronted him about over and over and over again? He did a healing on the Sabbath. He did this miracle on the Sabbath. And they criticized him and they, they complained about him over and over and over again. They were angry with him because they felt like he was disregarding the Sabbath because it was a day that they saw as a, a, an important day. And it was important to them but they had put so much on that it was just a burden upon the, the backs of the people. And they, they couldn't even keep up with all of those. It was something that was overwhelming to them to think about that they, they, you know, they had to think about all of these things constantly. Uh, as I, after I shared in the, the first service, I was thinking about it, about it a little bit later on I was, as I was down the, the hallway. And I was thinking about, you know, I, I think about how, I wonder how they, they dealt with people who were their security people for, uh, you know, f- that worked on the Sabbath? Because <laughs> they had those, you know. And as somebody who used to be in law enforcement, we, I used to work on the Sabbath. I used to work on Sundays, right? And, and 
you know, as a young Christian, there were times when I would be doing something and I'd read verses like this and I'd actually start to feel guilty like, Man, should I be doing this? <laughs> you know, should I be working? I wonder, you know, for the for the the Israelites who were like guards and, and security people, I wonder how they dealt with them. But anyway, I, that's a little diversion off. But but it, but it, it it all comes into play because the rules are the rules, right? And if you're going to follow the rules, if you're going to live by the rules, then you have to follow every single one of them without failure. It's pretty difficult. Uh, pretty difficult almost impossible. So what is the ratification of this covenant? Well, it was peace offerings and burnt offerings. They would bring offerings that they would bring to uh, the priests and the priests would do these offerings and they would uh, perform some tasks and we'll look at those here in a moment uh, to bless them and to help them as they were, were going through these things. And they had to do them over and over and over again. So what are examples of that? Well, one is uh, they would bring young bulls that they would slaughter and they would sprinkle the blood on the altar. Let's uh, turn, if you would, with me to Exodus chapter 24. Um, And I don't have that number written down for you, but Exodus 24. And we're just going to take a quick look at this. And we're looking at verses uh, 5, 6, 7, and 8. So 24, beginning in 5. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said we will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So they would read the, or they would bring in the uh, offering and the first thing they would do is they would sprinkle some on the altar. Then they would read the covenants, and the people had to promise obedience to those. Uh, they would have to say, you know, I, I promise that I will obey all of these uh, covenants, all of these uh, rules that you have there. So it's a promise of obedience. Then he would sprinkle the blood on the people. And the purpose of sprinkling the blood on the people was to free them of their sins. It would allow them to to have their sins forgiven. It was a, it was a mechanism to bring about uh, forgiveness, as we, just, as we just read. So, uh, the sprinkling of the people, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So it goes back to the agreement that is with, between God and the people. Okay? So, it's important, again, for us to recognize the difference. Uh, if we... Uh, if we were of the Jewish nation at that time, we would want to follow every jot and tittle of that, follow every single uh, part of that. And the sprinkling of the blood was to cleanse the people from their sin and to consecrate and sanctify them uh, for their part of the covenant. So what are the conditions uh, of, the, uh, of the covenant? Well, the Mosaic Covenant 
is conditional. First of all, blessings are conditioned upon obedience. Okay, if you're obedient, I will pour out my blessing on you. Well, if there's a condition of obedience, then what do you suppose happens if you're disobedience? Curses come upon you. Withdrawal of the blessing. So the people had an obligation from this agreement, from this covenant, of obedience to everything that was in it. You couldn't pick and choose. You couldn't say, well, I'll be obedient to this part. I'll be obedient to that. It says in the scriptures that they agreed to be obedient to everything that was written in the, the, uh, in the law. And so, if you think about your life and in my life, you know, do, could you keep every one of those conditions? And the probability is you would fail. Uh, the probability is, is that you would go through your life and you would make mistakes and you would, you would uh, have times of, of failure. Well, God recognized that. God knew that the people just weren't able to keep up. They weren't able to fulfill and do all of that. And so God didn't want us to be stuck. God didn't want us to, to remain in this uh, bad relationship. In fact, I shouldn't say us at this point, because until uh, Christ came and changed things, we wouldn't have been included unless you're, you're a, a, a descendant of the Jewish nation. You would not be able to even participate. But God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who came into the world. And Christ came, and he lived a perfect life. And he died on a cross, but he was raised back to life again. That's what we just got done celebrating and, and, and uh, glorifying God about last week. And then we read the scripture that I read earlier when Jesus was with his disciples, and he said, well, this is, this is a new covenant. This is a replacement covenant. It's a new covenant in my blood. What I, what I am going to do for you by dying on that cross, by being raised back to life, I am doing away with the old law, the old way of doing things, and I'm bringing in a new thing. I'm bringing in a new way for you to have salvation. So, uh, the... the uh, The new covenant, the parties of the covenant are God and all who would believe. As I was studying this, I went through and I, you know, there were, there were all kinds of people that were writing things and they talked about the unified uh, Israeli nation and all, all of these different things. But as I read scripture over and over in different places in the New Testament, I find that this contract, this agreement is between God and everyone who would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. That is our only hope, that is our only promise for us to have eternal life. So God made a new covenant and he did it through the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ represents what? The blood of Jesus Christ represents his death. His death upon the cross his burial, and his resurrection. So when, when, the, when, when Jesus is referring to his blood, he's also referring to, he's referring to that, but he's also referring to the fact that, that blood was used to wash away our sins, to remove the sins of sinners. That's why in the Old Testament they sprinkled the people. The blood was a mechanism for us to be washed. 
Well, why do we need to have our sins washed? Why do we need to, to have this happen? Well, in order for us to have a relationship with God, in order for God to be able to look upon us, we have to have our sins washed away. We have to be made clean. We have to be made whole. So what are the terms of this covenant? Well, first of all, God will write his law within our hearts. Uh, God takes his word and he takes uh, his love and his grace and he pours that into our hearts so we can understand what it is that he has to say. The Lord, he says he will be their God and they will be his people. Who is he talking to? He's talking about everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. This new covenant is for all who would believe. It's not just for one nation. It's not just for one group of people, but it's for all who would believe. So there's the everyone who believes. And then this belief brings us eternal life. We have eternal life not because of anything that we have done, but because of everything that God has done. You know, one of the things when we, when we talk about something like this and we talk about a covenant, you know, one of the things, the Old Testament uh, mechanism, if you look at it, there was the people had to do certain things. And if they did these things, it would earn them grace of God. It would keep them in the right place with God. You notice the difference here. God is doing all the work. If you notice God, that, that God isn't asking us to do anything here, God will write his law in their hearts. The Lord will be their God. They will be his people. He's chosen that. Everyone who believes this belief is giving us eternal life. It's all God. God is pouring it out on us. Not because we deserve it, but because of his love and his grace. And one of the things that's important for us to remember, notice that when Jesus said that in Luke chapter 22, he didn't say, my blood and these other things are the new covenant. He didn't say, and after my, after my blood, after I've shed my blood, then you have to do A, B, C, and D. But rather, it's Jesus Christ's blood and his blood alone that brings us salvation. It's his finished work upon the cross that brings us our salvation. There is not one single thing that you and I can bring to the table to earn our way into heaven. Not one. There's not a single thing that we can do. He has done it all. And praise the Lord. Amen is right. Because praise the Lord, there's not a thing that we can do to be able to get that. So uh, the Lord will forgive uh, sins. He will remember our sins no more. Isn't that a great promise? I, you know, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't be up here. I mean, is there anybody in here who has not committed a sin in the last, last week or so? Okay, I just want to make sure, you know, like, how about in the last 24 hours? Any? Okay. Just want to make sure my audience here before I can, you know. Isn't that great, though? Think about that promise, right? I mean, we all, we all mess up. We have a bad thought. We say something. We do something stupid. Whatever. Or we, 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 or we neglect to do something. You know, maybe the Holy Spirit's telling us, you should do such and such to help out so-and-so, and we, we, we fail to do that. You know, that's a sin. But it says that God remembers their sin no more. Wow. And worshipers are made perfect. That's you and me. We're all made perfect. Don't you feel perfect? We're made perfect in the sight of God because God, Jesus Christ's blood washes away our sins. And so when God looks at us, he sees a cleansed 
person who hasn't, doesn't have the sin, we've been washed in the blood of Christ. We've been made perfect by the blood of Jesus. Is that an overwhelming thought to you? Because it is to me. Whenever I come to that, whenever I think about that, it's like, wow, God did that for me? God sees me that way? I don't see myself that way. I remember my sins. I, I remember the stuff that I did. You know, sometimes you... I don't know if anybody else feels this way, but there's times when I look at myself and I hate myself. Like, how could you have done that or thought that or, or not done that thing? But God doesn't look at us that way. Not because we are perfect, but we've been made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ. What an amazing, amazing thought. And it's impossible for us to really get our Heads are on that. And because of that, there are no more sacrifices and offerings for sins that are needed. They wouldn't do any good because it's all been done. It's been finished. When Christ hung on that cross, when he was hanging on that cross, he was looking at the people there, but he was looking out to 2016 and he's looking at us. He's looking at everybody here and he's saying, it is finished. My blood has taken care of your sins. I have made you perfect in the sight of God's eyes. Well, the sign of the covenant is the Holy Spirit. When, when we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, God sends His Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, came and dwells inside of us. His Spirit and our Spirit, united as one. His Spirit speaking to my spirit. Correcting and rebuking when that needs to happen. Encouraging and blessing where that needs to happen. The Holy Spirit is in. Teaching me. Helping me to understand. Helping me to move forward. Helping me to acknowledge and recognize who God is. The Holy Spirit comes and fills us. Well, what is the ratification of the covenant. What, what fulfills it? What, what finalizes this covenant? It's the blood of Jesus from what he's told us. His blood. And again, remember, when we think of his blood, we have to think of his finished work on the cross. His death, burial, and resurrection. So his blood did it all. There's nothing we can add to it. No act, no thought, no will, no anything to add to it. Our salvation is purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ when he died on that cross. What are the conditions of the covenant? The conditions are that we have to go out. No, it's not. There's none. It's by grace you are saved, through faith. What can you add to it? Can't add anything. What can you bring to, to improve it? Nothing. The, the new covenant was completed because of the grace of God. And praise his name for that. I didn't take the time to do this in the first service, and I wanted to, to get to this. So I want, if you would turn with me in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews is uh, toward the back uh, part of the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 8. 
and uh, we're going to read verses 6 through 13. Hebrews chapter 8. And, the, and he's talking about the uh, Old Testament and the, the process and, and those sorts of things. And it's talking about the covenant. And then beginning in verse 6 it says, But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator. is superior to the old one and is founded on better promises. So you see he's comparing the Old uh, Testament covenant with the New Testament covenant. The Mosaic covenant with the Christian covenant. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I uh, took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, talking about the Mosaic uh, covenant, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. And that's because of the Holy Spirit in us. From the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. Aren't you grateful for that? And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. And he goes on, and if you're interested in this area at all, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot more that's, that's contained here in, in uh, uh, Hebrews uh, in, in verse chapter 9 and, and uh, you know, some of those verses in through there talks about this covenant situation and it it is it's really an amazing thing that god chose to do away with the old and replace it with the new because he knew that people couldn't keep the old perfectly as it had to be done well when we talk about the covenant we talk about this new relationship and we talk about these things what, what's a summary of that? What's, a, what's an area that kind of helps us? And for that, I, I turn to uh, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is grace, by grace you are saved through faith. And this not of yourself is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. You see, God didn't even leave room for somebody to say, well, I had enough faith to believe. Or... I'm good enough to be able to believe or whatever else they may want to throw in there about themselves. But the Bible says that he even gave us the ability to believe. He gave us the faith to believe. I can't work up enough faith without the Holy Spirit living in me and residing in me. So compare the two covenants. Which would you rather be under? A covenant that requires you to do this act over and over and over and over and over again, failing and failing and failing. Or the one that is fulfilled in the blood of Jesus Christ, which has made a way for us 
to have a relationship with God the Father, a perfect, holy relationship, not based on anything that I can say or do, but on the finished work of Jesus Christ when he died upon that cross and when he was raised back to life again. God has done it all for us. And our part is to believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Period. Praise the Lord for that.